0: Yo, welcome to the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast. It's the part two of the Fiesta Bowl special podcast series. If you didn't listen to Christian Brent yesterday, I highly suggest that you go back and do that. If you didn't watch the stream last night on all of our social media channels, again, I highly suggest that you do that. You can find it on the podcast feed now as well. If you want to get ready to run through a brick wall to start your 2021, then I highly suggest you go and listen to the beginning of that with, uh, with Dan McCarney, everything that he had to say, because that man is, uh, he, he'll get you fired up real quick. I can, I can tell you that. You want to get a little more analysis on the game, Jay Jordan was on there. Uh, given all of his uh, his knowledge. Obviously, he has a lot of it, as he's proven over the years that he's been working with us. And then Todd Kirk, if you're looking to make some wagers on this game, Todd Kirk from the Action Fanatics podcast, he's got you covered on that one. Um, of course, we need to thank all of our great sponsors for our, our postseason coverage, Graphite Construction, Fairway, Iowa Clinic Men's Center, and the DraftKings Sportsbook. About Wild Rose Casino in Jefferson – uh really appreciate everything they've done for us getting chris and i the opportunity to go to dallas and cover the big 12 championship game and then now you know i, I leave tomorrow morning at 6:30 uh from from des moines international to, to head to, to phoenix and, and cover the fiesta bowl which is uh, uh really exciting and something that uh, will certainly be a, a highlight of my career to this point uh on the podcast today I talked with uh, Eric Scoble. Eric is from duckterritory.com. He's one of the co-hosts of the Ots and Audibles podcast. Uh, the, Eric and his co-host on Ots and Audibles have made some waves in Cyclone Nation here over the last week and a half with everything that they've uh, they talked about on one of their first podcasts, talking about this game, kind of dismissive of Iowa State. Um, and I know that I had a people had some people really frustrated being Eric addressed some of those things here on this podcast. He gives us some really great insight on Oregon and uh, this team in the Ducks season so far uh, to this point. I thought that it was a really outstanding interview. And then after that, I've got a couple things that I, I do want to say. Um, so I'd appreciate it if you guys would uh, would stick around to pass the interview um, just to hear me talk a little bit more. So with, that'll be uh, that'll be later on. But let's get to uh, Eric Scoble from DuckTerritory.com and the and Audibles podcast. Welcome back in to the Cyclone Fanatic podcast. It's our Fiesta Bowl podcast preview specials. Jared Stansbury, now joined by Eric Scopel from DuckTerritory.com, one of the co-hosts of the and Audible's podcast. Eric, thank you for joining us today.
1: Yo, man, thank you so much. I'm excited to do this and uh, and jump into it. Let's go.
0: For sure, man. I know uh, you were just telling me a little bit before we got started recording uh, (laughs) that you've been hearing a lot from Iowa State fans here over the last week or so.
1: Yeah, I was just telling you, you guys have the best fan base because – I have not woken up to more messages on social from fans that are just like fed up. There's a couple that like, that seem to just be really excited to tell me how stupid I am and how wrong I am. And I'm, 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 I'm I love hearing that. I love taking it. And, uh, and, uh, I'll tell you what, like, regardless of how this game turns out, I have a lot, I have a lot of respect for, for the pushback, man. I, I, I dig that because out West in the PAC 12 um, and I don't, I don't, I don't pride myself on making claims that piss people off or anything like that. But, and I can be wrong because the fun, I'll I'll give, I'll make the point here that like, um, (laughs) I think part of it was from a prediction story I wrote, which I have like a 25% hit rate on this season. I do it every week and I actually did recap after the season. I hit like, I get like one out of four a week. So, so, so I make the predictions and I do it kind of lighthearted and I love, I love I just love how seriously everyone takes this shit because or crap. I don't know if I can say, no, you're right. go,
0: you're, you're perfectly okay. fine. Yeah.
1: Okay. Because, because at West I get no pushback. I don't know if anybody, I don't know if it's people don't read the stuff or if it's just not quite as diehard and, or whatnot, but like, uh, I, I never out West, even like leading up to an Oregon state football game or the Washington football game, which got canceled uh, get anything back like this at all. So I, I appreciate it. I love it. Um, and, uh, I'm excited to, to, to talk about some of the things that I guess have people riled up.
0: That's interesting to me because I think, uh, you know, I think out here, especially in Iowa, where, I mean, I guess Oregon's not that much different. We don't have any professional sports teams or anything like that. You know, in Portland, obviously you've got the Blazers and, uh, and the Timbers and you've got, uh, Seattle with the Seahawks, but, I, like college sports for us is like our pro sports. So it's like when it comes time to play a team, especially when we don't really know very well, people are going to go and find a podcast to listen to, you know, and try and learn about the team. Maybe that's a little bit different than what it is on the West coast, I guess.
1: I think that's fair. I think what you have out here is, especially in the pac 12, it's really varied. So you've got your big market program programs like USC UCLA, Like, those fan bases are really into it when their teams are good, but when their teams aren't very good, which for the most part they haven't been recently, they're pretty quiet. Washington and Oregon always have a pretty rapid, I think, rivalry, but Washington fans are – they're split because of Seattle and all the Seattle sports up there. Um, But then you have your smaller market teams. Like, you've got, obviously, Washington State, Oregon State. Those are tiny, tiny little towns. Those fan bases – like, Washington State, I will say – and really, they'll, they'll, their fan bases will they'll chirp back a little bit too. Those guys are, are maybe similar to Iowa state in terms of, I think it's a program and I don't want to speak out of turn because um, I'm not as familiar, obviously with the, the big 12 conference, but like Washington state, I think has a little bit of a syndrome of like, no one takes us very seriously. Our teams are always really competitive and we always are like Washington state and Oregon have had a great rivalry recently. And I think it's taken a lot of people by surprise, especially on the Oregon side. Cause it's like Oregon's got the flashy facilities and, and has had recent success. Um, but Washington state has been just a thorn in Oregon side and last year. Well, the last two years, Oregon's finally taken it back, but they'd lost five in a row. So I think there's a little bit of that. And I'm sure that there are Oregon fans that are doing the same thing, maybe listening to your podcast and I'll make sure to recommend that they do. So, um, after I finish wrapping this up, but like I think that probably is a fair point in terms of it's, it's split out here. Like, and I, I know that's probably the case as well for you guys out in the big 12, but, there are certainly markets where it's like literally this is like third or fourth fiddle. And then there's yeah. other ones where this is the only thing that they've got calling.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I, you know, I, uh... I'll actually add that my dad is from Oregon. So I'm actually pretty okay. familiar with uh, the, all the dynamics of the, of the Pac-12, just because my, I mean, one of my cousins is a season ticket holder uh, for, at Autzen Stadium. So I'm like, pretty familiar with the dynamics, especially between the Beavers and the, and the Ducks. But um, we got our experience with Washington State a couple years ago at the Alamo Bowl. So we know that those are good people. Those guys are salt of the earth from the experiences I've had.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, and, and again, I think, I think I draw a comparison there because it is, and I I, I don't know Ames, but I do yeah. know Pullman. I actually went to school um, in Spokane, Washington, which is like right across. I don't know. It's not too far from Pullman. So I know that area really well. And there's a chip on your shoulder kind of mentality. And I think I appreciate that a lot. And I think the Oregon fan base it's, is, is different? Like I feel like that was where they were about 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. And then they've had a bunch of success and the fan base has there's still those people that are kind of like, "Hey, we don't get the respect." And then there's a lot of people that just think that they should be given a lot more respect than they probably earned. Um, and I think that it's 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 kind of this interesting split of because Oregon didn't have much history up until really Chip Kelly got there. They had the Rose Bowl in '94 before, in between there, not a whole lot of success. They had like Joe Harrington, Keely Smith, a couple quarterbacks who were good, had some decent runs, won a Fiesta Bowl. Um, but like they really picked up. And now that that's picked up, there is this new contingent of fans, which I'm sure Iowa state will experience maybe here in the next 10 years, if the success continues under Campbell or whoever um, is the head coach. But like, it's interesting now seeing a lot of entitlement, I think from the fan base and, And Mario Cristobal is the absolute antithesis of that. Like he is not the entitlement guy. He's the, you have to go out and earn it guy. So it's interesting kind of seeing that, um, I guess, propped up against itself. Just the fans have certain expectations and and the program itself and the way it it, it communicates itself, at least is a little different.
0: See, and that's actually, it's interesting you bring that up because I think that, and I was talking to, I did a a video with someone an Oregon fan like mid last week or something like that. And I, he kind of drew a comparison with Oregon's 2017 team um to iowa state because of the the makeup of that team where it was not a ton of guys who were you know overly highly touted but they just had earned what they got and they had really worked hard to get in the position obviously that they did i mean a guy like dennis dixon who was would have won the heisman trophy and um you know was such a that that was such a good team until he got hurt but uh you know where they they weren't this flashy kind of uh, what, what you think of Oregon being, you know, in like 2014, I suppose they were still kind of on the come up and he said that that's, he, he kind of saw that in Iowa state. And once he said that, I was like, yeah, I guess I could kind of see that, you know, because that's maybe when you would pinpoint being the start of Oregon's really good run. But, um, no, I, I we'll jump in right to the, what you, some of the stuff you guys brought on the pod, on the podcast, uh, <laughs> The team talent talent (laughs) rankings, uh, the two, four, seven team talent rankings. I understand, you know, obviously you guys work for two, four, seven. I get why you would, uh, (laughs) pull something like that up. Uh, (laughs) is 12th in those rankings. Iowa state is 57th. I also want to note that Iowa state has already played and beat the fifth and the ninth team in those rankings. Uh, so I just, I I,
1: I, I, I will, I I will also say that I can, I can, and this is something I said in another podcast is that, uh, Iowa State also had four APL Americans and Oregon had one. So, yeah. like, there's, there's something to say about player development, but continue.
0: Right. No, that, and that's exactly what I was going to bring up because I, I, I feel like it's, a hard, it's hard to use that metric in predicting the game. Like, obviously, like, we can look at that and be like, you know, we don't even need to look at those numbers to be like, man, Oregon's got a ton of talent. Iowa State's guys did not come here as these highly touted household names, you know, and right. I, I pulled it up. Iowa State had nine guys who were first team All-Big 12. Uh, voted on by the coaches. Uh, eight of them were three stars. One of them was a four-star. That's Brees Hall, who you know now finished sixth in the Heisman Trophy voting this year. And uh, Mike Rose, who was the defensive player of the year, his second best offer was from Ball State. Uh, and then Brock Purdy, uh, who was the first team All-Big 12 quarterback, he got offers from Alabama and Texas A&M at the end, but he was a, basically a mid-level three-star. So it's like, it's one of those things where can't Iowa state on some level get some credit for evaluation, maybe in, uh, you know, in spite of what the rating services might say, I guess would be an argument against, uh, against that, I suppose. Total,
1: totally, reasonable. 100% reasonable. Can't counter that really in terms of like the, the success Iowa state has had. And I think, I think it's a blanket statement. It's probably lazy on my part and Matt's part. I don't even remember who brought that up or what exactly the context was. You might remember. Um, but I do remember defending the fact that Iowa state has had at least more all Americans, more all conference mm-hmm. players, or, you know, it's funny that Oregon wins the conference two years in a row and doesn't have the, the conferences top offensive or defensive player. Um, but o- Oregon certainly is a team, I think you look at and go the talent checks, the boxes, the upside checks, the boxes. And I think the thing that, that provides confidence for Oregon is that they had played so much better the last two weeks of the season. Um, but this hasn't exactly, we could, we could definitely talk about this. Hasn't exactly been an Oregon team that has been really playing well all year. Mm -hmm. And I know Iowa State. I looked at the results and it's like they haven't really had a dud um, besides the opener. And, and I think, I think that one's a misnomer too. And I think, you know, I'll be honest. So like the first podcast, I think we did was very dismissive of Iowa state. Okay. Um, And I'll, I'll I'll cop to that. um, Because I think, you know, you do a little deeper dive and talk to more players. You look at the numbers, you watch some of the film. I think it's really impressive. And I, they they remind me a little bit, and I don't know how much you've watched of Wisconsin, but there's a similarity there in terms of just the fronts on both sides being really physical. Um, And I would, you know, Wisconsin was a team last year. Oregon won that game, but did not play very well to do so. And I kind of think, and we can jump into a lot more of like, how we see this game going um, down the line here. But like, I kind of think this is, a matchup with Oregon that has the potential to go one of two ways where either it is Iowa state muddies the waters because they are so much more physical up front than what oregon's used to facing and oregon we should note um that has prided itself under mario Cristobal on being really good at the line of scrimmage which is i think probably a a little bit against what like the national perception is of like this is a flashy program blah 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 blah. all the athletes oregon has that but they really do win at the line of scrimmage so their their heart is going to be tested but I also think like there's a chance if Oregon puts it all together, and this is what I was getting on the podcast but to keep for saying this, where like Oregon does have the athletes at least to maybe create some separation. Um, and, and I also think I'll be very curious to see from an Oregon perspective of what they get at quarterback, yeah. because I know there's some familiarity here. You know, there's Tyler Shuck, Brock Purdy. Tyler's not playing well, and if Tyler Shuck plays the way he played the last two games, this could get ugly the other way. Um, if he plays like he played the first four games of the season when everybody was like, maybe he's one of the best quarterbacks nationally, then Oregon has a chance, I think, to create separation. So I, I think there's a couple of areas that like this one really comes down to, and I appreciate the pushback because I think you're, I think you're right on that. And I, uh, and I'll, I'll admit and cop to being like, probably shouldn't have recorded a podcast and been dismissive of the opponent before doing a deep dive.
0: <laughs> it's okay. I've, uh, it, it, I've been there. I was telling, uh, one of the guys that I do a podcast with, he played it at, at Iowa state. He brought it up to me, um, the other day. And I was like, I was like, man, cause I had I listened to it. And I, I said, man, I sat there and I was like, these are some guys bullshitting and you can't bullshit a bunch of bullshitters. And I was like, me and you are some <laughs> bullshitters. We're professionals, dude. And I was like, I'm sitting here. And I was like, that, I was like, that was, uh, that, that was tough from, uh, from an Iowa State perspective. But uh, yeah, I think the thing went to us that when we've really been looking at organ is, is the inconsistency of the team, you know, and uh, obviously you brought it up with Iowa State, like the the louisiana thing we're always going to get that thrown you know always going to get that thrown back at us and and i've been doing tons of interviews all over the place where that's always one of the first questions that gets asked and it's like that's a completely different team uh than from what it was or it is a different team now than what it was you know in early september when iowa state started its season uh you know and it, when you look at Oregon, I mean, what has been the cause of the inconsistency? Do you think? Do you think it 's youth? Is it um, you know some guys just maybe getting rattled in confidence, or, or where do you think that has kind of come into play because it 's been on both sides of the ball at different times obviously
1: hundred percent hundred percent No, um, you bring up the two places I would point to first is the youth um, I think it 's sixty five out of eighty five scholarship players are, are either freshmen or sophomores, and that concludes red shirts, so players that have been in the program one to three years. Um, it is a really young team. Uh, it's a team that defensively and offensively too had a lot of opt-outs right before the season started. Um, a Sewell undoubtedly is going to be a top five NFL draft choice. He was supposed to be the, the cornerstone on the offensive line at left tackle he did not have to play this season. Oregon now replaces all five starters in the offensive line. And that group has been like maybe the most puzzling group because they started the season and looked really, really good. And they do this weird thing where they actually play a six man rotation. They, they, I tracked it. It's really interesting. They, they rotate every two possessions. They rotate like their left tackle, right tackle, right guard, left guard. And they just move everybody around and then they insert different players. So it's this weird thing. And it was really effective early. And I don't know if, if it was something where opponents kind of picked up on it and then went, Hey, that's that maybe we can just do this or this or that with it. But, um, they went from being, I thought, a strength early on in the season to, like, really being pretty – not playing very well throughout the final portion of the season. Um, So the youth part there, and it is a younger group, is certainly part of it. And then I do think, like, specifically Tyler Shuck, really think his confidence is rattled. Like, there's something going on between the ears there. And Oregon fans and and Oregon's hope, I think, is that he figures it out. Because, like I said, you go look at the numbers, like – it's one of those things. If you go just look at his stats in a vacuum and you haven't watched the games, you're like, okay, this dude's numbers are really impressive. And if you pull up the stats and compare them, even the last two games, as opposed to the first four, it's not quite as big of a disparity, I think, as you'd think, but like you go and look at the, (laughs) if you go watch the games, it's like something shifted there. And I don't know if, I think it happened I would say in Corvallis in the second half there, he throws two really bad picks. And ever since then, it's just been like it's a completely different guy. And he's a, you know, he's a first-year starter replacing Justin Herbert. Somebody that, all off-season, there were a ton of, you know, expectations being built up, a ton of hype being built up. Um, everybody inside the program, outside the program, on the record, off the record, was like, this guy is going to be something really special. And you saw it in the first couple of games, the first two games, he became the first quarterback since Marcus Mariota um, to have 250 yards passing and 80 yards rushing from an Oregon perspective. And it was like, okay, this guy's the dual threat. He's the real deal. This is going to be something special. And it just hasn't really materialized the last couple of games. And so like, I think the hope from an Oregon perspective is that he gets that sorted out. Some of the youth on the offensive line gets sorted out defensively. It's been a thing where, you know, I do game grades after every game. And I gave the defense way, way worse grades. Like they were getting like barely passing grades to failing grades the first four weeks. And then the last two weeks, it's like, suddenly they're playing like a level football. Um, And this was a defense that was expected coming in to be like top notch. Um, Last year's defense was, I think you can make an argument. Maybe the best defense Oregon's had this century, maybe ever based upon the stats, based upon the players they had, based upon um, just a talent perspective. They lost a decent amount. Three of them were opt-outs. Javon Holland, Thomas Grant, Brady Breeze were all going to be starters in the secondary. All, they all opted out before the season left uh, began, and that group's been shaky all season. But you finally started to see it. Like I, I, the uh, the USC game, I think was really encouraging both on defensively from a pass perspective and a rush perspective. Like I looked at it and went, "Okay, USC doesn't run the ball very effectively, but they tried." And Oregon held them to I think below two yards per carry. And then in the, and through the air, the thing that was really impressive was just the way they tightened things up on the outside. Like USC has incredible wide receiver talent. Like you can say what you want about that program right now. Cause they're kind of in no man's land. In my perspective, I know they're five and O this year, but like, they're not, they're both not competing for a national championship, which is the expectation there. And then like also not dominating the Pac 12. Like they should be like that five and O record was a little misleading gave, given some of the losses or some of the close ones they had, but their receiving talent is like ridiculous. And Oregon's secondary, I thought he played really, really well there. And the other part was they finally got Kayvon Sibodeau and the pass rush going. And he, to me, defensively is the X factor. And I don't think he's played poorly this year, but there are certainly times where you go, he hasn't been quite as impactful as you'd expected.
0: Yeah, and he's actually an interesting player because anyone who turns on a game and you watch them play – you see how good he is. I mean, he jumps off yeah. to you immediately, but then you look at the statistics, and they're nowhere near what you would really expect them to be, just based on. I mean, like if you have eyes, you can see how good the guy is at playing football. You know, and then I, I, I'm not exactly sure. I don't have the stats pulled up in front of me, but I, I looked at him, and I was like, man, I would think he'd have what he's got three sacks this season or something like that. I want to yeah. say
1: all all, all, in the, all in the last three games, he didn't have yeah, the first it, three.
0: And that was what, in, you know, you sit there and you're like, man, for as good as that guy is, as a pass rusher, I mean, I remember how disruptive he was against Wisconsin last year. And you just are you're like, you would think that he'd have more sacks than that, I guess. But uh, it the game to me that when I've looked at Oregon, that is the most baffling is that Oregon State game. Because I think that it was yep. a convergence of where you had kind of, you know, you had seen where the offense had played really well. The defense had played poorly and then like it kind of started to cross there obviously the defense like after started playing well but like right Mm -hmm. in the middle of that game you really saw where it came together and it was like they were both playing poorly at the same time (laughs) and you allowed Jermar Jefferson to have whatever it was 225 yards I think rushing and three touchdowns and uh it what has changed for the defense in the last two games then um from from that point have they just done a better job of stopping the run. And and is that them doing something or is it the fact that they're playing teams that have not really ran the ball well the entire season? Because I I know USC has not ran the ball very well throughout the entire year. Yeah, Yeah. I think it's both. I think like stylistically USC
1: is an offense that is predicated on throwing the football. Um, they tried to run it on Oregon. I, I can't. I don't have the tat, the stats in front of me. I think they ran it like 27 times or something like that, and that includes sacks. So 25. Yeah, they tried average like 1.7 yards a carry.
0: carry. I think 1.7 yards a yeah. carry. I want to say
1: something like that. And then Cal, Cal actually has Cal actually has a pretty good running game like or at least has the talent to be good. And like so Cal was a team this year where everybody, they were kind of the dark horse, or at least kind of the other favorite with Oregon in the North. And they just it didn't materialize. You can point to COVID. They had a really, they have different regulations down in California where it was really difficult for them to practice. They missed their first game because of COVID. They had some players in and out of the lineup. Um, but that was a game where I thought, was a really big turning point. Another lost the game was a disappointing loss and the offense was just atrocious, but the defense played lights out. And so, yeah, I think it's stylistically USC and Cal's a team that wants to run the ball and Oregon just didn't let them do it. I think their longest run by a running back was like eight yards. Um, and so that was super impressive from that perspective. And so I think it's part of that. I think for sure Iowa state is going to be the best run offense Oregon's faced all season. I think, UCLA and, and Oregon state are the two teams that are also from the PAC 12 who run it really well that they faced. And Oregon gave up 200 and, I think 67 or 269 yards, something like that in those two games. So that doesn't bode very well. Um, but there, ha- you know, and so I think here's what we're going to get to learn from an Oregon perspective in the fiesta bowl is okay. The, imp- the improvements on defense against the run. Is that a byproduct, like you said, solely of you're playing Cal who is, struggling with continuity at running back. They had their starting running back in and out of the lineup. He came back and played in that game, but maybe wasn't at a hundred percent. And USC where it's, Hey, they really want to throw the football. And they were also without one of their top running backs in that game too. Um, Was it a byproduct of just not playing very good run offenses is why, is that why Oregon was holding them to less than two yards per game or per play, I should say, or was there a shift? And I, I think it can be both. And I think the thing that's, that does get lost in this a little bit is, that was games number five and six on the schedule for Oregon, you know, and that's usually the heart of the ski season where you start to see those improvements. And I think defensively, you know, and I'll, I'll I'll cop to it of like I think we set the expectations really, really high because of everything they brought back, especially in the front seven. And it was going to take a little bit of time. And typically, you have a couple of kind of warm up games to get through a couple of easy games to get through and Oregon didn't have that and the defense got exposed. I thought they tackled really poorly in space. Like it was really, really bad in space, especially the first three games, you know, and, and maybe 4 I'll include the Oregon state game of just like guys whiffing in space, guys that have been good tacklers in the past, just not making plays. And we've seen improvements there. And again, I think this is like, this is, this is what the game could come down to is is, is Oregon for real up front now because of what we've seen the last two weeks or have they just played offenses that aren't very good against the run? And I think Iowa state's really going to challenge that. And we're going to see what that, we'll see what that notion is. And that's going to be to me, honestly, where this game is determined at the line of scrimmage. And I know that's like most, most games you can say that, but that's what I look at.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I would definitely agree with that. And I think that's on both sides of the ball as well. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that about Iowa state's offense that I'm interested to know just you know how Oregon will handle it and it's been something that the the guys have talked a lot about or talked a lot about yesterday during their uh, media availabilities both coach Cristobal and coach Avalos did as well with the tight ends and you know I don't think that you Oregon sees many teams in the Pac-12 that are going to use the three tight end sets in the way that Iowa State does Um, and Iowa State is a, a team that you know when they really get clicking the reason that they get clicking is because they can have they can have one wide receiver on the field and have those three tight ends and you know go hurry up or go with some tempo offensively and never substitute and just shift those wide those tight ends and basically play them as receivers as well and that's where it's you know that's for every team that Iowa State has played how well can they handle those those guys and um you know when they're able to not handle them well like what Texas was you know, in the past game, then those guys can go for 150 yards receiving like what they did in that game, I think. But then, you know, if you try and put so much attention to stopping them from catching passes, then all of a sudden they can gas you in the run game with what Brees Hall is able to do. So that's where I think, you know, a team that just doesn't see that very often. I am interested to, you know, see how Oregon can counter that.
1: I think the team that Oregon plays year in and year out in the Pac-12 12, that is closest to that Stanford. Um, and you'll see Stanford play two to three tight ends, and they got away from that this year. And I think part of that was, and so Oregon really has Oregon really hasn't seen that this year. I'll, I'll say that part of that was Stanford has for the first time ever actually really good receiving talent, like at wide receiver, mm-hmm. and I think kind of a lack of tight end talent. Which, like you look at the NFL rosters, like I, I feel like almost every team has a Stanford tight end, whether he starts or he's off or he's coming off the bench. Um, and so they certainly are familiar with that. And in the past, the tight ends have been that's been a tough matchup for Oregon, Um, you know, regardless of if it's Andy Avalos, defensive coordinator, Jim Levitt. I don't even want to talk about some of the coordinators Oregon had in some down years there because it got real (laughs) ugly under Brady Hoke. Um, But, but, um, but there was certainly some success and Brady Hoke anywhere he's gone. I think people will probably have a similar reaction, Um, (laughs) but like, no, I think that's going to be really interesting Um, from a matchup perspective. Oregon does play a base defense, which has a nickel defensive back slash linebacker kind of position, a hybrid kind of role. Um, Jamal Hill plays that position this year. Last year it was Javon Holland. He was one of the players that opted out. He's probably going to be a, a day two draft pick, but Jamal Hill was fantastic in the back to championship game at two picks. Um, he's big, he's physical. He's only a sophomore though. And so there is an experience factor there. Um and then in terms of who else is going to be matching up out there, I think that's the thing where it gets interesting because like you've got Anoa Sewell, who's a big time recruit, but the dude's like 265 pounds and is really impressive when he's running straight head. But I don't think in coverage he's nothing that's that he's been very impressive. Um Isaac Slay Atia is probably your best overall linebacker. He's a junior. That's going to be a, a big matchup, probably with him. And I would assume they'll put Kohler on him or they'll maybe just play a lot of zone. That's something I've seen this year a little bit more than in the past, too, from Oregon, is I think more zone. Um, you know, I think last year, because they had a little bit more talent, a little more experience at corner, um, they played a little bit more man. Um, I'll be really interested to see how they defend that. And then you're right, the flip side of like when those guys don't go out for passes and that they just go big, how does Oregon adapt to that? Um, we might see Oregon play a little bit more four down lineman. We, 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 typically they're playing kind of like a weird three. I would say it's almost like a three, four, but it's kind of also like a four three at times. Cause they play this stud linebacker defensive. Then it's like a standing extension of the defensive line. That's that position is going to be, I think crucial. Like, do they keep that guy in the field or do they just put a more traditional hand, you know, hand in the ground guy when, when Iowa state does go bigger. Um, And I think those matchups are going to be crucial. And I'll I'll be really curious to see what Andy Avalos has planned because I I think we've seen them have success with a Cal offense, which is pretty much a pro style offense. And then against a USC offense, which is spread it out, you know, run the ball up throw the ball up and down the field. Iowa State's a totally different animal. And I'll be very curious to see how they handle that. I think that's to me, is is one of, another one of those big things? Is I, we talked about the line of scrimmage, but just like what's the what's the matchups? Where, where does Iowa State find those advantages, and and what does Oregon try to do to limit them? Because I do think Oregon has the athletes and space defensively um, to make plays, but if they're if it's against the bigger body tight ends like you're talking about, that could pose some problems. I think.
0: Yeah, for sure. I, one of the things that really impressed me though about Oregon's defense is the length that they've got in the secondary. I mean, all of their guys, it seems like are long, well, obviously they're really rangy. They can run. They can really, really run. And, uh, it, that's kind of, you know, different from what Iowa state maybe sees in the big 12. I think, uh, Someone that works for us pulled it up and or had did the math and it was like Iowa State's average pass catcher was like six four or six five or something like that and then Oklahoma when they played them in the Big Twelve title game their average defensive back was five ten and it was like one of those things where it was just this huge dichotomy like I think Oregon maybe with the length that they've got it's a little bit closer but um, that's th- that's something that I just think that that matchup is going to be really interesting to watch um, all right I want to flip it over to the other side of the ball. Uh, the, I think that this game, it's interesting on this side too, because there's the way I would say plays defense and John Hickok talked about this during his media availability today is you don't see other teams play that way very often. Yeah. He, I mean, I think that there's really only two other teams that I have seen play that way. And that's Baylor, which obviously is in big 12s conference and in Iowa State's conference. And then Clemson, which uh, is, you know, obviously very good. And um, they, so it's hard for them to know what other teams are going to do because you don't ever see anybody play against that style of defense. Sure. And yeah. then, um, but I think at the same time, it's hard for someone to game plan because it's hard to simulate until or it's hard to simulate it in practice when you don't play that way. And uh, until you get out there and the bullets are really flying and you're seeing what the windows to throw into look like. And, and uh, you know, and how even though the the run box might look light, you know, they're crashing safeties down and things like that. So that that's where, you know, if I'm Iowa state, I'm thinking, or from an Iowa state perspective, you're thinking like, okay, well, it's hard to prepare for this defense it's hard for us to prepare because we don't really know what they're going to try and do to attack our defense, but we do know that they've got a quarterback who might have shaken confidence. What can we do to confuse him as much as we possibly can? And that's where I, you know, I would expect to see a lot of things where it looks like one thing pre-snap, it's going to be something completely different post-snap and you're just, they're throwing everything at the wall to try and keep the Oregon offense completely off balance, especially in the past game.
1: Yeah, no, and I think one thing that has stood out is every time we've, talk, we've spoken with Oregon offensive coaches or players, it's been, gosh, we're, we're thankful we had an extra week to prepare um, because this is such a different look. I mean, I was talking to Alex Forsyth, Oregon center today during media, and, and he was he was saying that there are things that they – that Iowa State does that we haven't seen this year, we haven't seen in past years, um, and probably period. Like you said, I don't think this look is very frequent or very common. And, and I think from an Oregon perspective, it's we talk about the shake and confidence of Tyler Shuck. Um, I kinda wonder what new offensive coordinator Joe Moorhead has up his sleeve at quarterback. Um, they played Anthony Brown, he had not played all season he played about probably 15 snaps against USC and basically all those snaps were positive plays. He threw two touchdowns. He converted a, a crucial, um, I think it was a fourth down. Yeah, it was a fourth down short yardage pass. He um, had a couple nice runs as well. Will they utilize him? Is it, 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 Could he even play significantly more snaps than that against Iowa state? Is that, is that the right move? Um, and I also think what we've seen this year from an Oregon offense is, they build upon things and you'll see certain looks like early on in the season, there were a couple of looks that they, they, that they went to a lot. This, they had a couple of pass plays that they used a lot. And then you notice a couple of games later. Okay. It looks like that early. And so this is kind of, you're talking about kind of game planning. I think this is going to be a really good chess match because there are, there are past looks that look a certain way and it looks like it, Hey, from the snap, it's going to be this, this is just like a, a go-to play. And then all of a sudden, the tight end goes the opposite direction. He's wide open for a big game, or or run plays where it looks like it's going to be this traditional option that we've seen previously. And suddenly, there's you know the wide receiver comes around for a pitch and he's running an open space. So I do think this is going to be a big chess match. And I give I think Oregon's you know I, Justin Herbert was not maximized at Oregon. Um, you see I've what heard. he's doing in the NFL right now. I've heard. <laughs> And you go look and see who the offensive coordinator was and he's the head coach at UNLV, go ahead and look at their record and tell me if there might have been some coaching inadequacies. I don't know. That's probably a shot across that bow there for 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 Marcus Arroyo. But like um Oregon has upgraded at the offensive coordinating position by a, a, lo- a large margin this year. I don't think there's any doubt about it. Um, it's gonna be really, I think, telling to see. I mean, Joe Moorhead was the coach at Mississippi State the last mm-hmm. two years. He was the offensive coordinator at Penn State when they had Saquon Barkley. This is a a big time coordinating. This is a big get for Mario Cristobal when they got on this offseason. I, this is a game where he's, I think going to have to earn his keep a little bit. And you talk about how tricky it is to prepare for Iowa state. I'll be very curious to see what kind of tricks Moorhead has up his sleeves this week. I don't think USC was preparing to see Anthony Brown. And yet he came out there and, and really was pretty imp- like, Oregon probably doesn't win that game. If he's not involved in the game plan is, is my perspective. Um, Will we see something similar this week? Will there be some sort of wrinkle? Will there be something from a personnel perspective we don't expect? I don't know. But I think those are the sort of things that could maybe mitigate some of that. But I think you're right in terms of like, it's, it's going to be really, I'm, I'm very curious to see what this Oregon offense looks like, just like from a base perspective of like, how do they want to attack it in rundowns? How do they want to attack it? on third downs, are are they going to have to get fancy and creative to have success or can they have success running kind of some of their base stuff?
0: Yeah. And that, I mean, it's every week we talk about Iowa state defensively being a chess match because, and, and this is what Coach Haycock went into today. is just the, uh, you know, they play a lot of base early on because they want to get a feel for what the other team's going to do. And then once they get a feel for what the other team's going to do, you know, you see the defense really start to come into form as the game goes along. The last couple of years, they've had some, obviously had some really great battles with Oklahoma in the last four years. And in each of those games, I would say has had a deficit of at least uh, I think at least 12 points, but I want to say maybe even 17 uh, and then in every one of them, they've come back. And, you know, twice they came up short and twice they won. And uh, it's, it's one of those things where you see them – Oklahoma has some success early, but then Iowa State will adjust and be completely shut down the rest of the game, like what they were in the Big 12 championship game, uh, gave up 24 points in the first half and then only three in the second <laughs> and forced Oklahoma to punt five times. And so it, it's like even if o- Oregon has some early success – You know, that's why I feel like this game and we can kind of get into just how we see the game going is the reason that I feel like this game can be really close and I don't expect it to be overly high scoring is because I feel like these teams are going to go through a period early on where they're kind of feeling each other out Uh, and it's not going to be like anyone just immediately jumps out and you're like, okay, we're off and running because they both do things that are different enough that you don't really know what to expect from each other, if that makes sense.
1: No, I make a lot of sense. And I think that's fair. Um, I haven't made an official game prediction, but I, 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 I'm with you in terms of this game being low scoring too. I think the more I, I reflect on it, the more I go, Oregon really hasn't put up many points, especially offensively from like a conventional perspective. Like even though they scored 31 against USC, a lot of those came off of really short fields. They had one sustained drive over like 65 yards that whole game. Um, like I am not and Iowa state's defense is better than USC's defense. I'm not expecting this to be a game where either team like moves it up and down the field at will, yeah. And you're just like, Holy cow. Like I I'm guessing this game is going to be one in the high twenties, low thirties is my, is was where I would land on that. And I, and I think I really do think it's going to be a game that's probably played really close for the second half. I mean, I, I and if there is separation, and maybe it happens in the fourth quarter where one side, it just kind of wears the other out. Um, and I know that's something that that's kind of how both teams pride themselves is, is by kind of wearing the other team out late. And Oregon did that early on in the season. Hasn't been able to do it since. And has kind of either had to play catch up or, or just kind of hang on, um, the last couple of games they've won. Um, and then then conversely, the games they've lost, it's been in part because they just can't do enough offensively late and against Oregon state, like they, they had a drive there. If they would have picked up one first down, maybe two, that game's over they can't even gain a couple yards. They have to punt Oregon state ends up coming down and, and get getting putting the game away with a touchdown, um, in the closing seconds. Um, I think this is going to be a close game, dude. I do. Um, I know. And I, I know, I know we suggested blowout on the original podcast that Matt and I did right after the, 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 the um, I guess the pairing was announced. Um, the more I was state I've indulged in myself in and kind of ingested over the last 10 days, that feels really far fetched that Oregon's going to win this game. I, I think if Oregon wins, it's probably going to be like 34, 24 best case. And I could see it being the opposite worst case. And really the worst case for Oregon here. And this is why I think it's really hard to predict from an Oregon perspective of is like if Tyler Shuck just lays another egg and plays really bad, I don't think Oregon has enough offensively to really be very competitive. And it's going to come down to putting a lot of pressure on that defense. And maybe the defense is good enough to to do enough to keep it close and to to make to give themselves a shot. But like, I think it's different with Iowa State in in part because from and you can tell me if you disagree. But like, Oregon needs good quality quarterback play to win, and I don't know if Iowa State
0: does. Yeah, I think that they they don't, but they need him to not turn the ball over. He can play a C game as long as he doesn't turn the ball over you know, and they can, they can still win just because of the success they've been able to have running the ball. And then, you know, I mean, he didn't play perfect against Texas. You know, you're able to scratch that one out in in the end. Uh, Didn't play perfect against Baylor. You're able to scratch that one out uh, after you make a comeback in the second half. And it's just, Brock Purdy goes through some stretches sometimes where every once in a while he'll do something. What the hell were you thinking? Uh, right there which is the gunslinger in him and it's what makes him great but also is what makes him frustrating uh, from time to time um, but I couldn't agree with more agree more with everything that you said there and it, if I was someone who you know I am a betting man I will I will admit but I, I would not have much confidence to put any money on this game just because you know I from my perspective I feel like I have a good idea of what Iowa State is going to be Week to week, I think that they've proven throughout the entire season that it's like every time they come out, you know that they're going to be able to do these couple things and like, and that this is the team you're going to see. But with Oregon, I just – I don't know. (laughs) You know, I just have no idea really what 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 I'm going to see. So it's like it's hard having a confidence level uh, either way, I suppose.
1: No, I'm ex- like, yeah, I'm exactly the same place. And I cover this team. I've watched every game. I've been in person and all the games I've been allowed to go to, um, which most years would be every single game, but this year is different with travel restrictions. Um, and I have zero idea of what they're going to be. Exactly. I predicted that they'd beat USC in a pretty similar manner to what they won that game. But my confidence was super low. Like it was like, if this is best case, this is what will happen. And I think that's where you are. If, if you're, if you support Oregon and you've watched them all season, if you have a lot of confidence, it's coming from, okay, what they did against USC is is something that they're going to replicate in this bowl game. Because if they revert back to the unevenness and like the roller coaster ride, which was the first five games it's going to be almost impossible to win, or it's going to be very, very difficult to win. It's going to take a lot of breaks coming there. And we should note like this is an Oregon team that like straight up does not force turnovers, except for against USC and UCLA literally had no turnovers in the other four games combined. And then they had seven of those two. And then conversely has turned it over every game. They've turned it over, you know, two times or more, I think on four occasions, maybe five, I think five actually, um, can they minimize turnovers? And then conversely, can they, can they force some? Cause if they can't do that, I think it's going to be tough. Um, and who knows? Like, again, I, I, I don't know what to expect from Tyler Shuck. I keep bracing myself for like, okay, this is going to be the bounce back game. He's going to be revert back to be what he was early in the season. And then every week I'm a little disappointed
0: <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Are you going to be down in Arizona?
1: No travel restrictions. They won't. They won't let us go down. Um, unfortunately. So no. Are you? Are you? Are you? I assume. Are you heading over?
0: Yep. I'm heading down there uh, Friday morning. Flying out at six thirty in the morning on New Year's Day. So that'll be. Uh, that'll be awfully exciting. Well,
1: congrats to go. That'll be fun, man. I. I. I this will be the first bowl game I'll have missed in quite some time. So I'm. I'm bummed out. But. Um, I guess you just have to adapt this year.
0: Definitely it should be a fun game, man. I appreciate you taking the time to to come on, and uh, hopefully you uh, you were able to get back in the good graces of Iowa State fans here with a couple of days. Oh, before I, doubt oh <laughs> I doubt it. How I doubt it. I think you did it. You did a good job. This was fun, man, and uh, I, I definitely right. learned a lot. So thank you.
1: Hey, I appreciate it. Thanks, man. Anytime. Hopefully, hopefully we have another reason to do this at some point. Maybe we'll get another Iowa State bowl game or an Iowa State basketball game or something. Who knows?
0: Thanks again to Eric for giving us some of his time. Uh, to talk about the, the Ducks and, uh, to, and Saturday's Fiesta Bowl uh, down in Phoenix. You know, I thought that the, he gave us some really great stuff on that. I um, want to thank again our sponsors, Fairway Graphite Construction, Wild Rose Casino and Jefferson, uh, and the DraftKings Sportsbook, and of course the Iowa Clinic Men's Center for, you know, being the presenting sponsors of all of our uh, bowl coverage. And then, uh, you know, I, I mentioned before I wanted to, to say something uh, really quick, and that's just I want to thank everybody for um, their support, you know, over uh, over this year. it's uh, It's been a shitty one, to, to say the least. And, you know, I that's nothing that anybody else doesn't already know. I'm lucky to, to be healthy. I'm lucky that my family's all healthy. My friends are healthy. And you know, even in a, 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 like I said, I'm lucky for that. Um, and I'm lucky to get to do what I get to do every day. Uh, all I've ever wanted to do is be a sports reporter and, you know, to have gotten the opportunity to do that with the people that I do is, uh, is pretty special. Um, Obviously appreciative of Chris, appreciative to Matt and Brian and Jason uh, that have, uh, you kind of stood behind me through a lot of things and, um, you know, have put their faith in me uh, to do this for as long as I have now. Next year will be my uh, eighth year with the company, which is crazy to think. And um, we just, we would not be able to do this without you guys. Uh, There was a point, you know, earlier this year, Chris has talked, has joked about it a lot, but you know. It was real. I, I don't think that either one of us really thought we were gonna have a job anymore. Uh, we didn't know what we were gonna do. I don't know what I would do if I didn't do this. Um, someone asked me about that one day. What I would be if I wasn't a, if I if I didn't work for Cyclone Fanatic. And the honest question or the honest answer to that question is I have no idea. Uh, maybe I'd be a coach or you know try and go and do something like that. But I just this is all I've ever wanted to do. And I'm so incredibly lucky to get the opportunity to do this each and every day and talk about the Cyclones. And I think everybody, you know, everybody knows how much I love Iowa State. Uh, Iowa State changed my life. And for a lot of different reasons, but the big one that has been the longest lasting is getting to do this and doing this for CycloneFanatic.com. And the only reason that I get to do it is because of the people that click on our website, because of the people like you who listen to our podcast, the the subscribers to our podcast, our patrons on, you know, on Patreon and, um, you know, the people that stand behind us and support us in everything that we do. And, um, we're really lucky to have such a loyal group of people that have our backs. Um, we hope that we make you proud, you know, we work really hard every day to try and give you guys the best coverage of the Cyclones that we possibly can. Um, I think that we've got a really great team right now. I, I'm really happy with the people that we've got in the positions that they that they're in. I think that we've got everybody that's kind of in their you know kind of in their comfort zones of filling some strengths or, or you know, fulfilling their strengths and um, you know being the best versions of themselves in in their job. And I'm really appreciative of them. I'm appreciative of of Chris and everything that he does to uh, keep this place going and keep the lights on every day and um, I just I, I'm really really lucky to get to be the managing editor of this website uh, it uh, is the the blessing of a lifetime and it's you know fulfilling a, a dream that I've had since I was uh, in the third grade and I wrote on my uh, what I want to be when I grow up and that's a sports reporter. And I don't know if I've grown up yet, but uh, I at least get to be a sports reporter. So that's pretty damn cool. And I'm never going to trade that for anything. Uh, I think we've got some great stuff coming in 2021 as well. I'm really excited about, you know, some of the plans that we've got in the works. Um, And I think that, you know, you guys uh, hopefully will stick with us and keep rocking with us. And I think that you will uh, you will be glad that you do. You're class you did in the long run. Uh, so long to 2020. It's not been the most fun. Uh, it has certainly been memorable. Uh, but man, thank God for sports. Am I right? We'll uh, we'll talk to you again tomorrow when I'm uh, down in Phoenix. Talk to you on Saturday on the uh, Cyclone Fanatic pregame show with Todd and Brett and Chris, uh, and break down uh, Iowa State Oregon a little bit more. And uh, I hope everybody has a safe and happy New Year's Eve. And uh, talk to you again in 2021. So long.